Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My brothers and sisters, as we conclude our IF series today, I want to walk through these last few verses of Romans chapter 8 with you, starting with verse 34, which says, Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and indeed intercedes for us. The great Christian leader A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. Now, that's a bold, bold statement, but it does beg the question, What image comes into your mind when you think about God? Think about that for a moment. What is the image that comes into your mind when you think about God? I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Jeannie Knight, who did her doctoral thesis on this very question. The images that humans have in the modern day of God. And what she found was that most Americans have as their image of God some cross between Charlton Heston as Moses in the Ten Commandments and Santa Claus. Put those two together, and that's kind of the image that pops into our minds when we are thinking about God. And we get this honestly. If you go and look in the Sistine Chapel, the image of God that's painted on the ceiling there It's kind of a cross between Charlton Heston as Moses and Santa Claus. Charlton Heston wasn't even born yet. That comes from long, long before that. If we look at images of Zeus from Greek mythology, the, the idea, the picture that many of us have of God comes from a long, long, long time ago. What is your image of God? When you think about God as God... Judging? Is God angry? Is God joyful and laughing? In my first sermon here at Ebenezer Church, I told you that throughout my youth, the imagery I had of God was the image of one who was angry all the time, angry at me. Certainly, if you think about imagery of God in our culture, the most common symbol for God is the cross. And it's a 
important symbol, no doubt. The cross reminds us of God's tremendous love for us. The cross reminds us when we are suffering that God understands what it is like to suffer as well. We need the image of the cross, but we also need to hear what Paul is saying to us in verse 34. Because the scriptures tell us at this very moment that Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is clothed in power and in glory. And he isn't just sitting up there in heaven watching Netflix. No. Paul tells us in verse 34 that Jesus is interceding for us. That word intercede means to go between. The passage is telling us that Jesus is constantly bringing you to the mind of Almighty God, advocating for you. Angelo Dundee. Most of us are perhaps not familiar with that name, but he had a significant influence on a major historical player. Most of us have heard of Muhammad Ali. For 20 years, Angelo Dundee was the trainer for Muhammad Ali, and it wasn't just Ali that he trained. He trained 15 different world boxing champions, including Sugar Ray Leonard and George Foreman. Angelo Dundee was the corner man for Muhammad Ali. And he said this about what it's like to be in someone's corner who's going through a fight. He said, when you're someone's corner man, you are surgeon, engineer, and psychologist. When you're someone's corner man, you are surgeon, engineer, and psychologist. I can't think of a better description of what God does for us, surgically cutting away the sins that will hold us down. Engineering a beautiful forever future and reminding us each and every day of who and whose we are. Not only is Christ whispering into God's ear, advocating for us, but He is in our corner. He's counseling, healing, inspiring us. I love the way the prophet Isaiah puts this. He says, The Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Christ goes before us. Christ has our backs. Christ intercedes for us. What is the image of God you have in your mind? Because I would suggest that this is the image of Christ that should dominate our souls. Yes, Jesus was on the cross, but He isn't there anymore. He is triumphant. He is victorious. And He is in your corner pulling for you. With that in mind, let's look at verse 35. Who or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who will separate us? What will separate us? from the love of God found in Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase event horizon. 
before. There's actually an old movie named Event Horizon. I don't actually recall if I've ever seen it. But the word, the phrase Event Horizon, comes to us from the realm of physics, specifically astrophysics. And Event Horizon is a point of no return. Specifically, it refers to the gravitational pull that a black hole has on light. And that as light travels close enough to the black hole, it gets sucked into the black hole and there's a moment where the light has no chance of escape. That moment, that point of no return is the event horizon. It's when everything changes, a permanent transformation. And you might be saying, well, pastor, that sounds kind of ominous and not very good. But my brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to us that here in verse 35, Paul has articulated what could be an event horizon for us. It's a life-altering truth. Because here, in verse 35, Paul poses a question for the ages. What? What? What will separate us from the love of God? Nothing. That's the long and short of the answer. Nothing. Nothing separates us from the love of God. But, just to make his point, Paul goes on through a litany. Posing questions. What will separate us from the love of God? Hardship, distress, Persecution. Let's talk about these for just a moment because these are not just lists of things that Paul made up. When Paul articulates these things, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, so these are things that Paul himself has faced. What can separate us from the love of God, said Paul? Can hardship separate us from the love of God? If you remember in Acts 27, the Apostle Paul found himself stuck on a boat traveling the Mediterranean Sea. A storm came along, a storm which entrapped the people on the boat for 14 days. Eventually, the ship is wrecked off the coast of the island of Malta. And by God's providence, through Paul's prophecy, everyone on board the ship makes it safely to shore. And we think, oh, that's great. But if you remember the story, as soon as Paul gets on shore... He is promptly bitten by a poisonous viper. My point is that Paul understood hardship. And he knew that couldn't separate us from the love of God. He says, neither can distress. In Acts chapter 14, Paul went to the city of Lystra. And while he was there, he saw a man sitting in the crowd who was unable to walk. So Paul prayed to God and God healed the man. Some of the folks who were watching this were leaders in the city, and they didn't want to share power with Paul. They didn't want him to gain momentum. So they turned the crowds against Paul, and those crowds who just witnessed the miracle of God's power made manifest through Paul, those crowds stoned Paul until they thought he was dead. Brothers and sisters, when Paul tells us distress cannot separate us from the love of God, he knew what he was talking about. What can separate us from the love of God? Not hardship. Not distress. How about persecution? In the Roman world, the most significant sentence that one could get through the justice system short of execution, the most significant sentence short of execution was called 40 minus 1 lashes. 
The idea was that you're tied to a post and you're whipped. 39 times, 40 minus 1. Why 39 times? Well, because in their rudimentary scientific exploration, the Romans discovered is that once people were struck that 40th time and beyond, they started to die. Paul, <clears throat> Paul was sentenced to 40 minus 1 lashes five times in his ministry career. Which means that as he wrote these letters to the Romans... He did so with 195 scars across his back. Paul knew persecution could not separate us from the love of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we walk through difficult times, can that separate us from the love of God? Nope. But I made a mistake. Can't that separate me from the love of God? No. My child, who I love so desperately, is in trouble. Can they be separated from the love of God? No. No hardship. No distress. No persecution. Not famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Nothing separates us from the love of God. And when we understand that, finally, it is an event horizon for our souls. There is no coming back from this knowledge that there's nothing in heaven or earth. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And when we truly know that, it is transformational. Which leads to a question. What does knowing I'll never be separated from God's love, what does that transform me into? Well, let's keep reading. We look in verses 37 and 30, through 39 with me. Paul says, No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than conquerors. When we understand that Christ is in our corner, when we understand that nothing will separate us from Christ's love, Paul tells us it transforms us into something that means we are more than conquerors. What does that phrase mean? Let's stick with it for a moment. And to, to explain that, I want to tell you a story. On October 2nd, 1916, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets beat Cumberland College in a football game by a score of 222 to nothing. 222 to nothing. To this day, it remains the most galactic beatdown in football history. Margin of victory, which is the number of points you beat an opponent by, margin of victory mattered at that time in the final tally that went into deciding who the national champions were going to be. And so the Georgia Tech 
coach John Heisman, for whom the award is named, he ran up the score on Cumberland. Cumberland College that day had a total of negative 28 yards of offense. And here's the amazing thing. That score, 222-0, to zero, could have been worse. You see, towards the end of the game, Cumberland College was so disillusioned by what was happening to them that they stopped taking the game seriously. And after Georgia Tech scored a touchdown, the players on Cumberland College built themselves into a human pyramid. And when the place kicker for Georgia Tech kicks the, kicked the extra point for that final touchdown... It glanced off one of the folks on the human pyramid. They missed it. The score should have been 223 to nothing. It's a pretty convincing victory, church. If we spoke Greek, we might call it a hypernikeo event. That three-word phrase translated into English, more than conquerors, comes from just one Greek word. Hyper-nikeo. To hyper-conquer. To over-conquer. To conquer with success to spare. Paul is telling us when we understand Christ is advocating for us and that nothing will separate us from His love, we're going to do more than simply win. This is the type of win that demoralizes one's opponent, and in our case, our opponent is evil. That is the kind of love that lives in us. So stinking victorious that it demoralizes evil and injustice. By the way, this is where the famous company gets its name. Hyper Nikeo. Nike. Nike was the Greek goddess of victory. Her name was synonymous with winning. And so here in Romans chapter 8, Paul redeems that phrase, uses it to describe you and me, hypernikeo, overly victorious. When I was just a little boy, my parents took me to the Nike outlet store in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, where they bought me a pair of basketball shoes. These weren't just any basketball shoes, church. If you will remember on the recesses of your mem memory, there was a time when basketball shoes had pumps in them. Reebok was big for this. You, you put the shoes on your feet and you laced them up and then you, you pumped up air into the shoes to make it tight. Well, <clears throat> Nike had a similar invention with their Nike pumps, but... What was really cool about these shoes is that the pump wasn't on the shoe itself. It came with a separate piece of equipment. So you lace up your shoes, get them all tight, and then you slide the pump into the back. And shh, 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 shh. Man, third grade Rob was king of the world. I had pumps, and not just any pump-up basketball shoe. They were Nikes. Had that logo on the side. And this was a big sacrifice for my family. They got them for me. I was so proud of those shoes. I was so proud of those shoes and that, that logo on the side. In third grade, the logo does mean something. Perhaps it shouldn't, but it did. The swoosh. 
I want to suggest to you, church, that Romans 8.37 is our swoosh. It's our logo. Hypernikeo. More than conquerors through Him who loved us. Have you ever been to a, a job interview or a college interview? And they asked you the question, they said, would you describe yourself in one word? It's impossible to do. It's impossible to do. But if I were to give you, follower of Christ, one word to describe yourself, it would be this one. Hypernikeo. More than conquerors. You are the one the Almighty God is preparing a future for. Your footsteps are ordered by providence itself. The living God is causing all things to work together for your good. My brothers and sisters, the risen victorious Christ is in your corner. Advocating for you. Loving you with a love that can never be stymied or slowed. A love that makes you more than a conqueror. We've been engaged in this IF series over the course of these last four weeks. Walking through Romans 8 together. In the first week of this series, we talked about our if-only moments. If only I hadn't. If only I had. How so often we still carry the weight of those past failures with us. But one of the things that we learned is that those if-only moments of our past, they don't belong to us anymore. They rightfully, rightfully belong to Jesus Christ. He bought our past on the cross. Those sins aren't yours anymore. God has set us free from our if-only moments. The next week, the next week we talked about the present, about this very moment in time, and how so often we struggle with our identity to believe the things that God says about us. What we learned, what we learned is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives in you and me. It lives in you. It doesn't make us superheroes or rock stars, billionaires or fantastic athletes. But that Spirit's presence in us, what it does make us is joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. We are who God says we are. And we need to believe it, to live as if we understand we are indeed the beautiful and beloved children of the Almighty. Last week, we left behind the past and the present to dream about the future, the what-if moments, the dreams, the fact that creation is, is groaning for the kingdom of God to be made manifest and that the Lord our God chose to partner with you and me as co-architects of what will be. Builders of this new world. And it can only happen through dreams, through ideas, through the what if that God places inside of us. 
Dreams that God incubates inside of you give rise to the hope of the nations. And today, today we conclude this series with one clear and final message. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Christ is in our corner, interceding for us, and nothing, nothing will separate us from His love. What does that mean? It means you are more than a conqueror. It means we are instruments of God destined for victory. And we're not going to eke out a barn burner, church. No, the triumph will be epic. 222 to nothing kind of victory. Right will win. Justice will prevail because the love of God is the most powerful force the universe has ever known. And there is nothing in heaven or earth that will ever separate you from it. So go and answer your call. For if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen.